Earn continuing education units this spring with Teaching Practice, an online faculty development program from Course Hero. Over a series of asynchronous courses, you'll uncover new ways to leverage tech in the classroom and build inclusive curriculum, all while supporting your own well-being. Plus, you'll get weekly office hours support from leading instructors. Enroll for free today at education.coursehero.com. Subscribe to Future You wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, share it with your friends so others can discover the conversations we're having about higher education. I'm Michael Horn. And I'm Jeff Salingo. Welcome to Future You. I'm excited that we're able to bring you this bonus episode together in partnership with one of our season-long sponsors, Coursera. We're recording this episode in front of a live virtual audience at Coursera's annual summit, Michael. That's right, Jeff. And we're not only excited to be recording an episode during a virtual conference, but today we also get to dive into two topics that connect to something that, Jeff, you talk about often namely the importance of belonging and the success equation at colleges and universities. And we get to have this conversation with two faculty members who aren't just going to talk about the question of engaging students, but also what this looks like at the faculty level for professors who have been historically underrepresented in academia. Yeah, Michael, you know, while the racial and ethnic diversity of college faculty in the U.S. has increased over the past two decades, faculty are still much more likely to be white. About three quarters of post-secondary faculty members in the U.S. are white compared with about half of undergraduates. So there's this disparity between the two groups. And, you know, Michael, this came into stark contrast a few years ago when I was asked to speak at the convocation at New Jersey City University. And, and when they asked the students to stand, the majority of the students were students of color. And they're in the middle of the audience where the faculty who were mostly white. And as one of the students who was Black told me afterwards, it wasn't until her senior year that she had a Black professor in one of her courses. So to discuss this divide and what impact it has on belonging um, in the classroom and how it impacts teaching and learning, we're welcoming two faculty members today to the virtual stage here at the Coursera Summit. First, we have Crystal White. Crystal is an associate professor of teaching at the University of Memphis, and we'll be talking with her about what's needed to recruit and retain faculty members who have historically been underrepresented in academia. We also have Stephanie Spiker, who is the Associate Professor in Teacher Education at Weber State University in Utah. She's going to help us unpack this question of how to better engage students at colleges and university, which of course, uh, colleges and universities, which of course is a theme we've come back to repeatedly this year on the podcast. And so Crystal and Stephanie, welcome to Future You. Mm, it's great to be here. Indeed it is. Thank you for having us. Well, we're excited. And before we dive into the meat of the conversation, if you will, we want to start with a question that we love to ask guests, but candidly, we haven't had the chance to do so, uh, do so in recent episodes. But it's a question that I think, given our topics, is quite pertinent here. And so we, we'd love you to share your own paths into working in higher education. Crystal, why don't you kick us off? 
All right. So how do we all begin? Right. I believe that it begins with a passion. And when thinking um, about my path into higher ed, I guess I can say it started when I was really, really young. Uh, I lined up all my stuffies and the dolls and, you know, had a, a fake chalkboard right in front of me. And, you know, they were, you know, they were engaging. They were raising their hands the whole nine. I mean, it was just me by myself. But, um, you know, my students were participating and I was engaging with them. I was learning from them. It was very reciprocal. So I can say that my path into higher ed actually started with a passion that's, you know, you know, real deep into my childhood. And it's just continued to grow ever since. Um, I'm in ed psych and research, and I've beautifully married both my passion for education and psychology in the work that I do. Thank you for asking. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Stephanie, why don't you uh, tell us about your path into higher ed? I, yeah, I'm sitting here chuckling uh, because instead of using my stuffies, I used my siblings. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, it does. I think it is. It's it's a passion that leads us to to a place where we really want to make an impact. And for me, I I started my teaching career 30 years ago as a high school history teacher, and at that time, I had the opportunity uh, opportunity to engage in some professional development, and really fell in love with wanting to impact teachers early on in their training and development. And I knew that I had to do that at, in a higher education landscape. I spent several years trying to um, trying to do that with a bachelor's degree. Then I tried doing that with a master's degree. And then um, I continued to get turned down for positions just because I did not have the um, I didn't have the degree. Now, I will say that I gained an incredible insight in education in my doctoral work. Uh, and um, it was part of getting into this higher education world in which I am now. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the issues that we're facing right now in, in higher education and particularly around um, student engagement. So, Stephanie, I want to start with you about exploring this, this question, namely, how do we create an environment in which students want to engage. You know, Michael and I have been hearing from faculty and administrators about the low level of student engagement right now. Is that what you're seeing? And what's the real challenge institutions are, are facing to engage students? Yes, yes, and yes. And to begin, you know, it seems like it's such a, um, a simple question. One where even from, from many of us, we think back to, to our own education experiences where it was just assumed that you are going to participate, that you are engaged in the learning experience. And we know now we're in this, we're in a new paradigm of teaching and learning that I think frankly began before COVID, but then COVID really accelerated what was, you know, what was already happening and what our students were needing. I just, I'll pose this question to all of you, and this will help set this of why this is such an important question and why this is difficult for us. Is if we all think back, I want you to think back, and this is for everybody on the, on, on the call, think back to uh, the moment that you learned to read. And if potentially maybe you can remember that moment. Many of us probably don't necessarily remember that moment. I don't remember the moment I learned to read. It's just ingrained in part of what I do. And some of us, I'm sure have different stories. Our students that are entering into our college campuses now, they have no memory of what it was like before an iPhone. It is just part of the way that they engage in the world. You know, the, the, the technology that they are using to navigate and engage in spaces is um, completely different than what we experienced in a span of one generation. 
No wonder this is difficult. No wonder this is challenging for us. And so we find that we are now in these really deep, complex um, uh, problems of how we're engaging students and bringing them to college campuses. So I'll just briefly share a couple examples that uh, I I think that are important to as we think about how do we engage and as we're inviting students into the uh, into our into our spaces. One, be present. Think about how you're creating an environment that your students actually want to be in, that you want to be in. Take the time to explain to the students your why. Find out their why. Find out who they are. What brings them to the classroom, right? That's all about being present in the space and thinking deeply about how we're crafting a learning experience. Even now, right, thinking about how we set the tone for this podcast, wanting to set that stage, inviting people into this space so they would want to be engaged with us. That's really critical. I also think it's important um, lately, I've been really into reading um, Dr. Keltner's work from UC Berkeley, and it's about the, the science of awe. And on the backdrop of this, recently a report came out from the Surgeon General that we are now in an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Yeah. If that doesn't really think about how we need to use that in our spaces um, to, to, to create um, engaging spaces, it's critical. Ahead, and Stephanie, we're gonna we're gonna be spending more time on on the solutions to the problems that we uh, that you are identifying. But Crystal, I kind of want to get a, a sense of what you're seeing at the University of Memphis. Are you seeing you know a, a kind of student engagement or, or disengagement that might be similar to what Stephanie uh, shared with us? Yes and no. So um, definitely um, not just at the University of Memphis, but also, you know, other campuses um, and then across the board from K-12 all the way up through higher ed. Um, kind of like Stephanie mentioned, you know, there was a major uh, paradigm shift that happened because of COVID, as we know. Um, so that modality shifted. Um, it created a kind of the, this burden, this this culture, right, um, where students were already kind of somewhat disengaged, but then it it, it created a, like another layer, another barrier um, with COVID, especially you know just having to shift that modality. Um, kind of kind of coupling with what um, Stephanie said as well, you know, like the being present and why, um, you know, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the community of care, you know, is, is something that um, has definitely um, been missing um, and definitely something um, that has, that has, you know, that needs to be addressed as well. No, so I want to stay with you, Crystal, then off that for a moment, just to tie together these questions and challenges really around student engagement with who is at the front of the room in the classrooms and lecture halls. Research has found that students of color who have educators of the same race or ethnicity are more likely to you know, look to those teachers as role models and to then report greater effort in school on their behalf and so forth. I, so I'm just sort of curious to level set us in your view, what's the current state of recruiting faculty of color and what are the central challenges that still need to be addressed in that area? Oh, boy. Well, let's be quite candid here. The current uh, climate is a mostly don't ask, don't tell, right? Um, you know, current, you know, legislator related to DEI initiatives on campuses, um, et cetera, has made these kinds of conversations, these kinds of questions pretty difficult to answer. Um, but what I can say is that, you know, statistics 
continue to show that Black faculty comprise roughly 6%. Um, and that's mostly due to how faculty of color um, and other historically margin marginalized groups um, of faculty members continue to be mistreated at all different types of institutions. Um, you ask about recruitment. It's happening at the recruitment level. It's also happening at the retention level. And it's also most importantly happening at the mentoring and advancement um, levels within the academy, right? So these different groups of faculty and their intersect, uh, intersecting identities um, are either not entering um, or they're exiting very swiftly um, due to so many of these issues. Yesterday during um, my uh, talk with uh, Dr. Bridget uh, Turner-Kelly, we talked a lot about uh, recruitment, retention, and mentoring of Black faculty in academia and how there's oftentimes this bait and switch, right? They bait you in and then some kind of way they almost you know, forget or you know, it's a switch or it's not as much effort. Um, you know, put in to kind of level the playing field, so to speak, for faculty of color, right? Um, so we talked a little bit about invisible and unpaid labor um, that we contribute to diverse student populations, um, unequal distribution of work, right? Feeling overwork, undervalued, and definitely, as we know, the entire state of education, teachers, faculty, staff were underpaid. Um, and so then not only to mention some of the tenure battles and failure for, um, you know, certain departments to support um, advancement as it relates to that. Um, and so lastly, we also talked about like the lack of safe spaces, right? So um, some of these unchecked uh, microaggressions, um, hostile climates um, that are consistently um, being perpetuated within academia, making us you know, maybe not even want to enter or may making us want to leave um, just as fastly as we entered. Um, so when we kind of think about those things, obviously, you know, there are some ways to combat this. Um, and we will talk about that um, shortly. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. And I want to kind of move to the, to the solutions on both fronts, both engaging students and how do we get uh, a more diverse pipeline into the uh, into the faculty. You know, clearly there are challenges on both fronts in terms of engaging students in the classroom, particularly given that these are these digital natives, as Stephanie mentioned, right? They don't know a time before uh, the iPhone really even existed. Um, and as Crystal just laid out some of the challenges uh, with, with faculty, not only in terms of recruiting faculty, but then finding and uh, mentoring uh, faculty of color and, and getting them through the tenure promotion process at, at many places. So let's discuss what we uh, might do to address some of these challenges. And Stephanie, let me turn to you first. What what do you know? You started to lay out a little bit earlier. Uh, you know the you know being present and and helping students understanding their why. What do we know? What else do we know that works in engaging students and and creating a better sense of belonging in the classroom? Yeah, I'll share two. I'll share two examples, uh, and one is really thinking about uh, our, our being strategic in the beginning of the semester. Really, how we are crafting those very those I think those very gentle, fragile first weeks of the semester, where we are building relationships. We are we're um, learning who our students are and how we want to connect with them. In teacher education, and some of you might remember this maybe from your own experience as a student, uh, we use the term attention getter, right? Like, how am I going to get students' attention? 
I like to switch that around. And I like to think about how am I using connection getters in my classroom? So um, interestingly enough, and, and I've been so grateful to have uh, hear Priya Parker speak as part of our summit um, and also reading her book. She talks about that in a gathering, and I think about this in the classroom, our students remember the first five minutes, the last five minutes in some climatic moment, right, in, in the class. So those first five minutes, what am I doing to deliberately connect the students to each other? What am I doing to connect the students to the content that we're going to be teaching in that class? And then I think about those last five minutes about how am I going to connect those dots over what did they just learn? And then thinking about how to connect them to the next learning experience. So really thinking deeply, no matter what your discipline or content area is, we, <laughs> I think about, I had a teacher once when I was a kid, first day of school, walked into school, first five minutes. All right, everybody, we're going to take a math quiz. You know, you talk about a, I was going to say a buzzkill kind of for a downer, us as yeah. grownups, right? <laughs> but like, you know, awful, you know, and it's about how we're crafting that space. So I would say really thinking deeply about that. And then one other just real quick piece of, of well, Stephanie, um, before you move oh, to yeah, that take second it, Crystal. piece, yeah, um, just when, you, when you're thinking about the disengagement at both the student level and the faculty level, you know, there, there's been a lot of research that's, uh, that basically says it's because we have these unauthentic um, learning experiences. And so exactly what you're talking about, right, um, that connection, I always like to um, ex ex explain or express to my students, um, a lot of whom are um, going to be future teacher educators, that it's important to bridge the gap between theory to practical application. Right. And that's exactly what you're explaining here. Right. So making those connections and letting them see that these experiences that they are learning, they're not unauthentic. Right. They they have meaning and they have purpose. Um, and then for them to be able to connect those dots and really to see this come to life um, within their perspective fields is how we really keep them engaged. Right. So. A lot of times my research goes into like making sure that things are culturally relevant or culturally sustaining um, within their um, within their assessments and within their activities that they're engaged in within the classroom. And that's the same way with us, with our research um, and the things that we're doing within our respective colleges and universities. Yeah, I mean, relevance clearly is, is yeah. key here, right? Because if if you're sitting in a classroom, either virtually or even in person, you know, and what you're learning is not relevant. You don't understand why you're learning it or how you're going to apply it ever. Um, or if you're going to apply it, by the way, years from now, you probably won't remember it anyway. So the, the relevancy is the key there. But, you know, I don't think, I still don't think higher education does this uh, well today. You're clearly offering, you're both offering uh, solutions, but, you know, for all those leaders out there who are, are listening today or watching us live during this virtual conference, what's it going to take to to get there? What are what are some of the structural barriers? To, we kind of, in other words, we kind of know what to do. We just can't sometimes get out of our own way to do it. So, what should institutions do to, to kind of tackle these structural barriers? And, and Stephanie, let me start with you on that. I think it begins with really thinking deeply about first who is at the table having these conversations, what, who and what is and the ideas that are being represented and also being willing. And this is very big picture. And then we'll, I'll narrow down, but really being willing to kind of um, start completely over. Um, I know at the university in which I, uh, in which I teach, we're in the midst of building two new big buildings. When we found out 60% of our course offerings are being offered online starting in the fall. 
I mean, we, it's about rethinking the way that we engage in teaching and learning, being willing to, to, to reimagine what does teaching and learning and what do our students need in the 21st century? And I'll just say this, this is where we need to shift from our classroom spaces being designed as a traditional lecture format to spaces that actually encourage active and communal and cooperative learning, right? Where you walk into a classroom, you have no idea where the front is. And I would say, again, speaking from my own experience, 80% of the classrooms I walk into now, I can tell you exactly where the front is and who is in charge and who is the leader, right? We have to completely rethink that. So it starts, so I'll just say tangibly, think about your space and how we have to create the spaces in order to create the learning environments in the communities that we want to see. Um, so from, you know, really thinking about active learning classrooms to uh, redesigning the way that we're asking students to engage with our curriculum, experiential modalities and um, study abroad, or I was going to study immersive study experiences or internships, you know, the list goes on and on, but really rethinking the way that we're engaging in curriculum. That's hard. That's very hard because all of us have been indoctrinated into a way of learning because we have also, the majority of us have gone through the American system of education. Yeah. Well, let, let me jump in Crystal with a, with, with a question to take it over to the, you know, the faculty member side, because, you know, we've just heard some themes, right. in both of your answers, connection, relevance, uh, active, really rethinking quote unquote, the front of the room, right. How do we make it more cooperative? I'm curious, you know, how do we better support those who want to be faculty members and are from diverse backgrounds? What does the solution there look like? Where does it pull from these things? And where do you start to think of other ideas that come in to help us with those challenges that you mentioned? Yes, yeah, so I'm actually going to kind of um, um, piggyback just a little bit off of Stephanie here, um, where she mentioned, you know, kind of really, um, in my own words, you know, shaking things up a little bit. Um, and then, in, in, in a sense, the way that I look at that is, you know, creating more um, improvisational or playful spaces in which both uh, students can be engaged and they can, you know, get this feeling of, of everything that's going on within the classroom. But then also on the faculty end, as far as addressing some of the issues that I brought up earlier, you know, breaking up some of those traditional modes, right? So some of those antiquated things that are no longer working or no longer effective for um, our faculty of color or our even diverse student population um, is going to be something that is, is going to have to take place and going to have to shift. Um, a lot of uh, the research that I've done um, deals with like imaginative play across the lifespan. And so bringing in some of those um, unique learning experiences I've said um a couple of times, uh-oh, I made a mistake. It's okay. We're just going to keep rolling with it, take a couple of deep breaths, and, you know, we keep moving forward. And, and I think that that's something um, that we have to um, be ready to do, right? So when we think back to how this started for both myself and Stephanie, these were playful experiences in our childhood that led to these passions, and we've just continued to build and grow. And it's okay if you make one or two mistakes. Just like you said, we have the tools, we know what to do. We just need to implement them, put them in place, make a couple of mistakes, celebrate those mistakes and keep moving forward. 
some really good thoughts there, Crystal. Just one more question after which we're going to go to our audience uh, Q&A. So those of you who have asked questions, if, if some of you are ready to come on camera and, and ask it, that'd be uh, terrific. Uh, but also get in your questions now because we're about to go there. Crystal, just to, to end with you on this question from, from me and Jeff, I'm just curious if there are institutions out there that you'd say they're doing this well, right? And, and if you're willing to name them, that would be terrific as well. But just trying to see, are there good models, in other words, that we can pin our hat to and other schools can really replicate or learn from? Uh-oh, Michael, you're trying to get me in trouble here. Um, well, let's just say, <laughs> let's just be completely transparent. I do believe there are several institutions across our nation, across our globe that are attempting, right, at different um, collegiate um, levels, um, department levels, um, and even program levels. They are attempting. And as mentioned before, you know, due to our current state, we have a kind of don't ask, don't tell. We kind of got a sticky situation going on with DEI right now. Um, we are working towards things, but a lot of these are so uh, systemically in, in, ingrained and entwined that we really do have to, you know, kind of move away from. So some schools that I've actually kind of I guess kind of did a little bit of research on that are moving um, a little bit more proactively um, across the board. One, I could definitely say Columbia University, right? Um, they've been praised for improving their racial climate by being one of the first universities in the U.S. to create um, an African-American advocacy group um, and, you know, allocating millions of dollars in funds specifically for Black faculty recruitment and retention. We could learn, we could model after them, right? Um, also, Emory University, UC Irvine, uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Also, I cannot forget, although I am not a member of an HBCU alumni, I, I must say that HBCUs across the board have definitely for years um, been able to continue to do um, this move towards uh, successful recruitment retention, as well as mentoring and continuing to advance their, um, their Black faculty and other faculty of color. This is just uh, this is just great in terms of uh, in terms of the feedback that we're also getting um, in the comments, and uh, so just a terrific conversation about a set of of twin issues that kind of connect, relate, and have big implications for where higher education is going. We want to now go to some audience questions and feature your voices on the podcast. And Michael, I think we have a few questions that are have come in uh, during this conversation. Yeah, we have several coming in. We're going to go live to one. Uh, Andre Kohler, if we can bring you up on the spotlight. Perfect. Thanks so much. So, um, Dr. White, you were talking about unsafe spaces. And so I'll just kind of read my question. Um, what are your recommendations for navigating those more gray spaces where the climate is not overly hostile to diverse faculty and students, but there isn't a real effort to recruit, mentor, and retain them up to and including promotion and salary advancement for faculty and administrators, particularly those who are not of the majority culture within the organization? Thank you. Thank you for such a beautiful question. Um, one of the things that I would like to say is, you know, uh, possibly institutionalizing some sort of paradigm shift um, that implements um, the ABCs, right? So acceptance, belongingness, um, and then communicated community. 
And an example of that I can share is actually happening right here at the University of Memphis. We have a Women's Plus mentorship network in which um, individuals across our university um, include Women Plus faculty, students, both undergraduate and graduate and staff members that come together for different professionalization activities, um, events, as well as book clubs and um, writing opportunities. And so because this is a small group with inside of the university that is representative of interdisciplinary groups, we are able to bring up some of these issues and concerns and come up with solutions and then bring them back um, to our upper administration um, and then as well continue to support one another. So as we're navigating some of these more challenging and difficult spaces, we are able to kind of come up with some solutions that we can actually push back to our higher admin and gain support or gain better solutions that are going to be systemically um, implemented at our institution. I definitely feel like mentoring at that type of level, the more apprenticed mentoring is definitely something that could be beneficial and that could help to address some of these issues, right? So almost thinking like, you know, like a ta task force teams and things of that nature, if that makes sense. Terrific, terrific. Uh, Andre, thank you for your question uh, on the show. And let's go to uh, Diane Wilcox, uh, who has a question uh, from the Georgia Military uh, College. Hello, I'm Diane Wilcox from the Deep South. <laughs> so we are a teaching institution, and we have very much flipped our model in the last few years. So you see, I teach in seat, I teach remote. We have a high number of dual enrollment students and online. So recreating the space in which our students learn is highly relevant. Improvisation is key. Improvis improvisation. So. How do we move from the traditional instructor-centered education to student-centered instruction? This is what I'm hearing from the disengaged students. It's not about us anymore. It's about them. So how do we use this student-centered approach to combat decreased student engagement? Diane, thanks. For that question, my my teacher heart is singing uh, because I am I I completely agree with you. And when we when we create a student centered or as I like to say, it's human centered classroom, an idea where we are all part of this learning environment. It's amazing what we can accomplish. The transition though is difficult, and so my my first initial response would be to start small. If you're thinking, if you're at a university that will su that's supporting a change in pedagogy, I think we all know that it's here. We, I, I know I feel like I really don't have a choice. Um, I cannot stand up in front of another classroom reading off slides again and look out into a sea of 50 eyes, which are not engaged with me, right? And so I really felt like I had no choice. So I think if, for those of us that are new to this, I would say engage with many of our universities have um, centers for engaged teaching and learning or our teaching and learning forums or centers that provide opportunities for us to think about student-centered pedagogy, ways that we are rethinking or reframing the lecture, the way that we are using digital tools to engage with our students and create that sense of community. 
For those of us that might be more experienced or have been doing student-centered pedagogy for years, and I know for me, that's where I was. And then COVID just was like, a, a, you know, it totally shook me up. It was like, Steph, you've got to rethink this. And so for me, this is where the, the digital pedagogy has really elevated for me, where I'm really thinking deeply about how do I use the tools and the resources that are available to me and not necessarily in um, gamification, which we could have a big conversation about as well, but how am I using those to create community? How am I create, how am I using those tools to 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 bridge and create student-centered spaces? For example, Flipgrid, something very basic um, as, as that, or our the Google suite of tools, or um, you know, from Jamboards and right, collaborative tools where we're deliberately and creating learning experiences. And the last thing I'll say on this is that we have to rethink the assessments that we're giving and the assignments, not just the learning experiences, but this is where our authentic, assess, authentic that's a big one, authentic assessment design comes in and that it's relevant. What Crystal was saying earlier, that it, we, again, it cannot be just some contrived multiple hundred um, choice, hundred question multiple choice test. We need to think deeply about what and how we're creating and the relevance um, for our students. It's great. Uh, let me ask a different question that came in. Are, are you finding that students are more engaged in person or online uh, these days? You know, Stephanie, you were mentioning in particular uh, changing, right, the way the quote unquote classroom is shaped and the design and so forth, and perhaps rethinking the lecture hall design and things of that nature. W what are you both finding in your practice right now? I think it's hard. I think it depends. Each is unique based on what a student wants and what they bring to the particular learning environment. So for example, um, you know, in, in my face-to-face -face classes where you think I've got this incredible engaging environment and they are disconnected, right? They've got their <laughs> laptop on. You think they're taking copious notes and man, they're on Amazon. Right. And then the same thing might hold true, right. On our, on our, um, fate, on our, um, online classes when we're teaching, for example, in a platform like Zoom. Um, we think um, our students uh, potentially uh, might be disconnected um, because it's easy to disconnect, but I actually find often it's easier to connect because people are in spaces where they are often comfortable. And so it's sometimes easier to be more present in those learning spaces. Um, and I think, again, this is where the role of us as faculty is that we cannot underestimate really the importance and the power of the spaces that we create with as teachers and that what we're facilitating in those spaces to help students engage. So my answer is it depends and it's really up to you um, to really think deeply about how you're crafting that and really how you are, again, as we're thinking about the pedagogy and the principles of engagement that we can bring in to help our students engage with us and the content. Now we have our final question uh, for the podcast, and that's uh, from Carolyn Wiley. Carolyn? I'm Carolyn Wiley, a professor of management and human resources at Roosevelt University in Chicago. So I, I'm privileged to be on this conversation with you. How would you suggest bringing students back into the game of creating dialogue and peer learning and being keen to understand from their peers understand others' perspectives and apply them to their life experience. Crystal, Stephanie, you each want to take uh, 30 seconds on that? Yeah, I'll say we must, and this goes back to what I was saying, to the best of our ability, we need to create the learning experiences and the assessments that 
gently guide and force our students to engage in this dialogue. And we need to teach them those skills ourselves. We have to remember our students, they, they don't, they need practice just as much as we do. They need practice on how to engage in dialogue. And it's up to us, us to craft those experiences. I believe a lot of these learning experiences come from experience and exposure, exactly what Stephanie's explaining here. So when we create um, and we cultivate these particular learning spaces that are a little bit more authentic in nature, you know, you can even, it, it, it even comes into play where Stephanie said earlier about the spaces within the classroom itself. A lot of times we may just have to change the dynamics and the structure of the actual seats and tables within our classroom. You know, we, we, we're, on a, we're on a Zoom platform right now. A lot of times when you're engaged in these online classes, you may have to just have a round robin conversation, bounce ideas off of one another. Don't be afraid to interrupt and to share your ideas and to bring things forward. You can move the tables and chairs around in your classroom, set it up more like, you know, corporate style um you like like a round table or you you know a conference room or something of that nature and um you know on the more academic level these more conference style um where you know students are bringing up particular issues and then they kind of round robin or gallery walk and share ideas use their post-it notes in the classroom and 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 share their additional ideas because that is what is happening in the real world and they need to have more of these authentic experiences and exposures in their everyday practices, even within the classroom. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> and this is a perfect place, I think, to wrap it up. We've heard today a powerful call for leadership along with connection and relevance and community and a real culture of care. And while I will take uh, Stephanie's uh, thought to heart that we might favor connection getters over attention getters in the classroom. We also hope that this podcast recording has gotten some attention on some important <laughs> topics. And as we wrap up this, our sixth season of Future You with this bonus episode, I just want to say a huge thank you, firstly, to Crystal White and Stephanie Spiker. Just I really, really appreciate you engaging with us and uh, coming into this these important conversations. Of course, a huge thank you to Course Hero, not just for today, but for sponsorship all year long. And they've been sponsoring the Course Hero question uh, all year long on the episode podcast episodes as well, which has just been a terrific addition to the show this year. And finally, thanks to all of you in the audience uh, who have gone with us on this journey for this first uh, live recording of a podcast as part of the Course Hero Summit. But truly on behalf of me, Jeff, and of course, Course Hero, we appreciate all of you and we'll see you soon. Thank you.